Let's face it, we frontliners see the absolute worst of humanity more than we may like, definitely a lot more than the general population. And while I can certainly appreciate heading to the local, off-shift friendly drinking establishment after a particularly difficult night, I'd much rather cope with finding whatever humor I can in a bad situation. Trust me, it's better than having to call my adult daughter to pick me up from a bar at 9 o'clock in the morning because I can't, uh, find my keys. My name is Jennifer Cosgrove, and I've been a night shift nurse for close to two decades. I created Overnight Observations to not just celebrate and share the often extremely dark sense of humor many of us possess, but to really dig in and chat about how allowing ourselves to find levity in serious situations not only helps us cope in the moment, it's also been scientifically proven to be beneficial to our overall mental health and physical well-being. So grab a cup of lukewarm coffee and a cold slice of pizza, sit back and relax, but not too much, you'll get us all in trouble, and just observe. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to Overnight Observations, Diary of a Night Shift Nurse. Jen here. How are you? This getting up early thing to record is actually working out quite well. It's motivation. Now, if only I could do that the other days of the week and actually get a workout in, that would be even better. So goals, stuff to look forward to. Finally, I had time to go back and look at some emails that I've received on the show and got a couple that had to do with Nurses Week. Thoughtful little things that the hospital does for its nurses. And I heard from my friend Katie that I haven't seen in a long time. I miss you, Katie. I hope you're well. Give your sweetheart a little smoochy for me. But she, one year, received a letter, or actually an envelope, in the mail from the place that she used to work at for Nurses Week. And I guess her colleagues said that it was actually a card that was signed by corporate or whatever. And she had to ask what exactly it was because she just got an empty envelope. That was it. From whatever hospital it was she was working at, she opened it up with, you know, eager anticipation, I'm sure. And there was nothing in it. So happy Nurses Week to Katie. Must have had an intern stuffing. No, actually, they probably did not have an intern stuffing envelopes because the intern would have gotten it right. Because interns usually do. Anyway, that was that. And just for fun, I read another email, and I'm not going to say where this was from, but their Nurses Week celebration, someone had put a life, like a a full-length mirror in the break room with a sign that said, this is what a perfect nurse looks like. Okay. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most perfect nurse of all? Okay. Keep them coming. These continue to blow my mind and... You know, I mean, you got to give them a little bit of credit for the effort, I guess. In changing the subject a little bit, there are some people out there that tend to ask night shift, not just night shift nurses, but night shift people, what do you do at night? If, if there aren't a lot of people around and things slow down a little bit, well, what do you do? Do you read? I remember not that long ago, a couple of years ago now, I guess, a politician Uh, basically said that nurses sit around and play cards. Yeah, that's exactly... I had forgotten about that until recently. Like, play cards? Wow, yeah. Yeah, we we, we get a good... uh, If you work on a Friday night, you get your poker game going. We play for, I don't know, still slices of pizza, old donuts. I, I, in our case, recently, it was a Friday. I think it was a Friday night. Yeah, I think it was last Friday night. We were talking about a little calendar post. We have a calendar in the nursery that's, you know, one of those daily 
calendars that you rip off the, the page. And for the weekend, it talked about life hacks. Or that's the name of the calendar, the life hack calendar. And every day it has little tips and tricks and stuff. Some things you know, some things you don't. And this particular one talked about using a glue stick as an anti-itch remedy for a mosquito bite. I never knew that. That's kind of cool. So we started talking about different different remedies and different, you know, old wives' tales. And, yeah, you know, we one of our favorites is when parents ask why a baby is under phototherapy for a high jaundice level or high bilirubin level, we, I know my main answer to that is, well, I don't know if you remember, you know, your grandmother, great-grandmother, your, you know, your parents might, I mean, I'm getting, I keep forgetting how old I am sometimes, but the old wives' tale, put the baby in the window, if the baby's looking yellow, put them in the window, let the sunlight get on them. That'll help resolve it, help them, help the babies work it out of their systems. And some acknowledge that. Like, oh yeah, I've heard that. I've heard about that. And some just kind of look at me like they have no idea what I'm talking about, which a lot of people look at me like that sometimes. But that's kind of the phototherapy is going to help break all those red blood cells down and get them out. So that's that, putting the baby in the window. So I posted on my Facebook page, hey, anybody have any old time remedies or you know, cures that seem a little a little bit off, a little bit weird? Do they work? Don't they work? And I got a bunch of really, really cool things. My sister, Monica, said anything that requires a spoonful of cod liver oil to just cure everything. And I remember those days. Here, take this. You won't get a cold. I don't know if it worked or not, but that they say, you know, the omega-3s, all that good stuff. Whether it worked, whether it didn't, I'm lucky that I don't get sick that often, which is great. Let's see here. What are some others? Um, peppermint tea for stomach issues. I've heard that works. We have our glue stick. Let's see. A spoonful of sugar to make hiccups go away. I've heard holding your breath. I've heard taking a drink of water. I haven't heard the sugar one, though. Thanks, Scott, for that one. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what else. Uh, rubbing whiskey on an infant's gums for the pain. I've I've heard that. That's from my friend Maria. Uh, what else did Maria say? Uh, for the Italians out there, lick your finger, make the sign of the cross on the body part that's fallen asleep. Haven't heard that one. Uh, not Italian, but my Italian friends have never mentioned that. But I think a lot of them, a lot of them that I do know, do use the sign of the cross for pretty much everything, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. It's always the sign of the cross. Rock on. So thank you, Maria, for that. Appreciate it. My friend Lisa, who lives down the Cape, who I absolutely adore, sent sent along a uh, cure for a jellyfish sting. You pee on it. You pee on the jellyfish sting. And I that was kind of like, well, well, who pees on the jellyfish sting? Does it matter where you get it? Are you able to pee on it? Do you wave down a random stranger and say, hey, I just got bitten by a jellyfish. Can you pee on this for me? I know there are probably websites for activities like that. Well, there are websites for activities like that. Don't ask me how I know. I just do. And I think there was a Friends episode where Monica gets, not my sister Monica, the Monica on Friends, gets bitten by a jellyfish. And I forget who she has. Is it Joey? She has to pee on? I, I forget. But I looked that one up because I thought, hmm, well, you know, maybe salt water because urine does have electrolytes and sodium in it and all that good stuff. So is that kind of a cure for it? So I did look it up. And basically they said that even though, yes, there are sodium and electrolytes in urine, urine can be dilute. If you drink a lot of water, there's less, obviously, sodium electrolytes in there. So if it's too dilute, you know, you use it. It can worsen the pain, actually. So, you know, they say seawater is fine, so just clean it off in the ocean water. 
the Scientific American Journal actually had an article listed in it by Ciara Curtin, and it's dated January 4th, 2007, if you want to take a look at that. And it kind of, you know, we're, we're a bunch of wusses here in the United States, and they're pretty extreme in Australia. I'll tell you why. According to this journal article, here in the United States, when someone gets bitten by a jellyfish, now there are different types of jellyfish, of course, and different, you know, slightly differences or slight differences in their venom. But here in the United States, they recommend seawater and baking soda. I always bring baking soda to the beach. So, you know, hey, maybe it's worth packing a little, you know, one of those little containers that you can cover. I can't think of the name of it. Again, it's, it, did I mention it's early? Little thing of baking soda, bring it to the beach. Baking soda is good for everything, pretty much. There's another old wives' tale for you. Whitening your teeth, cleaning your fridge, whatever. But hey, bring some to the beach in case you get bitten by a jellyfish. You can combine that with a little bit of seawater and deal with any bites that you get. Australia, however, their jellyfish must be monstrous because they mention the use of morphine and antivenom. Can't wait to go to Australia someday and swim and get bitten by a jellyfish. As long as the guy that's administering the morphine and the antivenom, as long as they look like Chris Helmsworth, I'm down with that. Or if they aren't and the morphine makes me think he looks like Chris Helmsworth, even better. Getting back to remedies, I'm not going to dwell too much on monstrous jellyfish in Australia. Let's see. This one here I had never heard of. Eating chocolate to take care of like that tickly little cough that you get once in a while. Now, I'm always a fan of eating chocolate. My research paper and my nutrition class was the benefits of chocolate. But this is because the compound theobromine is in the cacao bean. It's supposed to help suppress our good friend, the vagus nerve. You remember him? In one of my last episodes, we talked about the vagus nerve and, you know, hitting yourself up with a, what's essentially a taser to keep yourself awake at night because of electrical impulses that gets sent to hit up the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve can send false signals to the brain and eating some chocolate with that theobromine in it, that kind of helps reset it. So next time I have a cough, I'm going to, you know, have even more of an excuse to eat some chocolate. It doesn't say milk chocolate, dark chocolate. I'm a dark chocolate person. White chocolate is a big fat lie. So don't get me going on that. But hey, you know, Professor Lupin was right. And Harry Potter, have some chocolate. It'll help. I guess it helps more than we thought it would. So yay. It's it's funny how in doing a bunch of research for the show and, and just life in general, dark comedy is out there and it's in different physical and mental health journals. And one of the ones I recently saw was according to a study in 2017 by the Cognitive Processing Journal, they described dark comedy as people who appreciate, I'm quoting here, people who appreciate dark humor may have higher IQs, show lower aggression, and resist negative feelings more effectively than people who turn up their noses at it, unquote. I kind of get that. I'm sure you've had the same type of thing happen to you. You make kind of an off-the-cuff comment that's maybe not super politically correct, but it's in the moment and you kind of say it. Some people around you, if they're friends or colleagues that get it, will chuckle. Other people will just kind of shoot you a look or tell you you're terrible or whatever. But hey, you know, I don't think I don't think we're all that aggressive. And I think I do think getting a little bit of a chuckle does relieve some of that tension and you can carry on. But again, not used in a bad way, people. Let's be let's be kind here because everybody needs a little bit of kindness. You don't know what they're going through. And it doesn't mean that we, you know, using dark comedy, we resist negative feelings. We feel them, but we kind of, again, turn it into something that 
helps us carry on. Now, looking in the Merriam-Webster, gallows humor. Where did that come from? So many different rumors going around, but according to the to the MW, it's humor that makes fun of life-threatening, disastrous, or terrifying situations. Rumor has it that the original term gallows humor came from two brothers who were getting ready to be hanged. So up on the gallows, after one brother was already hanged, the other said, hey, look at my brother there making a spectacle of himself. Pretty soon we'll be a pair of spectacles. According to Adams and Mikosi in 2015, that's that's what they were able to dig up, so to speak. But it's kind of crazy situations. You tend to, or some people tend to just pull it out of there and make a joke out of it. And we can kind of see that in film and literature, especially across all kinds of different genres. I did mention Stephen King last week. Even though he's known as the master of the macabre, his books may or may not give people nightmares. I mean, Salem's Lot had me thinking vampires were knocking on my bedroom windows in the middle of the night when I was in middle school. So that's how I started to like him. I'm like, this guy gives me nightmares. This is great. I know that could that sounds a little twisted. I'm not going to talk about myself. But if you do read Stephen King or authors like him, Every so often, they'll throw a little bit of humor in there just to kind of dispel how you're feeling. And I know Stephen King does do that because I have laughed at some really weird moments while reading a Stephen King book. And it doesn't have to do with any kind of anything really super gruesome. So to get that out of your head, I'm not that bad. But one book that's a really good example of the message I'm trying to get across here is Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. A lot of us have seen that multi-award winning film starring Jack Nicholson, and that's fantastic. I think reading a book as opposed to watching a movie is a little bit different. And the book itself has some really interesting takes on the place that laughter and humor have when you're going through dark times. Now, this was published in February of 1962, made the banned book list in 1974 due to glorification of criminal activity, pornography, blah, 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 blah. Mr. Kessie wrote the story based on his experiences working, hey, the graveyard shift in a veterans hospital in Oregon in the late 1950s. And I guess it had, the book had to do a lot with what he saw and what he experienced in, you know, it was a veterans hospital. It was a mental health facility. Nobody, everybody was doing lobotomies back then. If someone showed too much aggression or was it too much aggression? Was it just individual thought. I mean, it was it was the patient against the nurses, the doctors, people in charge. And if you didn't comply, you got lobotomized. Of course, with advances in, in medicine and mental health today, that none, none of that happens. You don't get lobotomized if you don't go along with what people say is best for you, right? Right. Anyway, some of the insights in the book on humor, according to Goodreads, if you, you look up One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, humor or laughter they're really, really pretty insightful. Uh, one of them is, quote, man, when you lose your laugh, you lose your footing, yeah, end quote. And then, quote, you have to laugh at the things that hurt you just to keep yourself in balance, just to keep the world from running you plumb crazy, unquote. That's true. Finding your balance, yeah. Sometimes you have to laugh at the absurdity of things. Here's another one here. He won't let the pain blot out the humor. No more, and he'll let the humor blot out the pain, unquote. Uh, quote, here's another one. You can't really be strong until you can see the funny side of things. And I totally agree with that. You have to see the funny side of things in life and in work and in general because there's so much absurdity out there and there's so many horrible things going on. And if you can see the lighter side of things, again, you don't necessarily have to 
you know, shout it to the rooftops. But if it helps you cope by getting a laugh out of a horrible situation, I think especially if it has to do with you, not necessarily self-deprecating because too much of that isn't a good thing either, but just being able to, to cope and laugh at yourself and sure, laugh at others, but in a irreverently respectful way, as long as it's respectful, you're doing okay. And don't think that nobody understands. I do. I raise a cup of lukewarm coffee to you and wish you well. Keep those emails and comments coming. Love to hear the good old wives' tales. And hey, if you have a book recommendation that made you laugh, even though it's, well, it doesn't have to be horrifying, but if it's something that made you laugh and helped you out a little bit, I'd love to hear about it. Overnightobservations.com or send me an email, overnightobservations at gmail.com. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and I will catch you on the flip side. Ciao. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Overnight Observations, Diary of a Night Shift Nurse. If you've laughed a little or a lot and learned something in the process, I've done my job. For more respectfully irreverent humor and the scientific proof that it's actually good for you, subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget that a little bit of levity goes a long way to leaving some of the darkness behind. The sun always rises. Greet it with a grin. Thanks for listening.